And to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. Give Brother Joseph a break. Some have asserted that more members are leaving the church today and that there is more doubt and unbelief than in the past. This is simply not true. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never been stronger. How can homosexual members of the church... First, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. Questions are honored, but opposition is not. I think we'd also have to be honest. There may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those are going to be the ones we avoid. Doubt your doubts. Welcome to another episode of the Cognitive Dissidents Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for this chance to, to be with you and to chat with you a little bit about a story in the scriptures that I just love. And let me start by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he who has eyes to see, let him see. The story I'm talking about is where Peter attempts to walk on water. But before we get to that, let me play a soundbite out of Mormonism and then give some thoughts on what that soundbite means within the LDS faith. And then let's talk about the experience of Peter with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. This was a talk given by one of the apostles in the LDS Church, Elder Ballard. And and the idea behind this talk was, look... Life has issues. Every institution has issues, and Mormonism is no different. We have issues. But it would be silly of you to jump ship because there's a problem here or there. That, that as an institution, you're better off here. Stay here. You're safe inside the boat. It's a dangerous world out there. Those waters are choppy. There's no way you can swim that far to shore. Stay in the boat. And you can see the value here. Like, relate this to your own religious institution. You can see the value here. Like, just because my church has a couple of problems doesn't mean that I should bail and then be out in that world all alone. Like, there are situations where it is appropriate to say, like, that's the right thing to do. Like, in my marriage... I look at my marriage, and my marriage has issues at times. And yet, I don't bail on my marriage because of an issue here or there. Because generally, it provides the safety, comfort, enjoyment, experience, and growth that I'm looking for. And so why would I leave that because of a problem here or there? 
And, and you can, again, relate that to your own faith. But at the same time, there's also the counter-argument. There's the idea that you could see Elder Ballard from Mormonism saying something like, Look, trust us. Don't think about the problems. Don't worry about the problems. Just stay complacent and stay here. Here is what you know. Here is safe. Stay here. If you go out there, it's a dangerous world out there. You don't know what could happen. You're better off staying right here in the boat. And so I don't want to take away the value of what uh, Elder Ballard is saying, but I also want to recognize that there are two approaches to what he's saying. And, And I simply want to speak to the latter. Today I want to talk to you about the unwillingness to get out of the boat, out of a need to keep your comfort, out of a need to know that here is safe and here I'm, I'm aware of here and I know here and I out there is new and different and who knows what might happen out there, but I know what will happen in here and relate that to the experience of Jesus. So with that, we turn to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just gone about feeding the 5,000. In my mind, this is one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. That Jesus takes these couple of baskets of loaves and fishes, and in the midst and in the view of thousands of people, the food in these baskets regenerates and he's able to feed the large crowd. Now again, I'll stop here and simply um, impose my own perspective. I want to talk to you, the listener, for a moment about Jesus, that whether you hold Jesus to be historical or not, I don't want you to be turned off by us going through this podcast and using the the words uh, allegedly written by Jesus that we find in the New Testament the experiences allegedly had by Jesus and his followers found in the scriptures. Like, I don't want you to distance yourself from those because you hold a non-historical view and you find the use of such to be silly. Let me say that whether historical or not, and I'm fully aware of that discussion and the evidence and the conversation on both sides, that regardless, like there is so much value to be found in the Christ of faith. In other words, the Christ found in the scriptures. Such a an example of how to handle situations, such an example of wisdom in the tension of the moment, and such an example of conversation around our development and our growth. So please understand, I'm fully aware of the argument being made about the historicity of Jesus. What I'm saying is, in spite of that argument, in spite of that debate, Jesus, found in the New Testament, is still a perfect example to have conversations around development and growth and psychology and behavior and the mechanisms in our society, in our our tribe, and in within our own brains on how we deal with the world in a more realistic way and in a more loving way. So with that... Again, let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. 
We've just talked about that. Verse 22. In straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So there's this large crowd and Jesus says, look, I'll take care of this. I'm going to go ahead and send these guys away. But you guys get in the boat. And if we can use the the soundbite earlier to frame this, if we use the boat as as an institution, an institution that for a time in our life we need, a time in our life when when that is so supportive of us, it gives us community, it gives us identity, when when it gives us uh rules and a rigidity that we need in an earlier stage of development. Like when we see the world in a black and white way, when we're constrained to outer authorities, we're very prone to make decisions in life that send us down a dangerous path. We really are. Like I wouldn't want my 16-year-old or my 14-year-old or my 12-year-old deciding their own morality. Like they need that guidance. And so religious institutions are beautiful for those young ages of giving a moral framework, of giving us a perspective of God having rules and we need to follow those and we need not break them. And so the ship is the institution and Jesus tells the disciples, get on the ship. I'll, I'll meet you on the other side. Now think about this for a moment. The, the disciples had to be thinking like, how's Jesus getting to the other side? How's he meeting us there? Is he getting on a boat? Is he going to walk around? Like they had to have spent a moment going like, master, this doesn't make any sense. We're going to get on this boat and go to the other side. How are you getting there? But for them, the boat is the right mechanism at the right time. At the same time, Jesus is indicating that he doesn't need the boat. The boat, he'll figure out some other way to serve the purpose of getting to where he needs to go. But he puts the disciples on the boat. Tells them to head to the other side, to head to a direction and to get there. And Jesus then sends the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. So these men are on the boat. They're traveling to the other side. Um, I lived in northern Ohio. I lived right on uh, Lake Erie, one of the Great Lakes. Huge lake. Would have taken all day to get from one end of the lake to the other. Just a, just a giant lake. And yet for some reason, I don't, I don't think, again, I could be off a little bit, but I don't perceive whatever, whatever body of water these, these disciples are on in the sea. Is it as big? Is it bigger? But for Jesus to like, let these guys be on the boat for some time, right? to let them be on the boat for some time while he goes up into the mountain. And we realize that from scriptures, the mountain is the sacred space. And so Jesus, rather than take the disciples with him to have this spiritual experience up on the mountain, Jesus partakes of that experience alone. 
and he sends the disciples on a different path, on the boat across the sea. Like their journey is different than his. Either they're not ready for what he's partaking in, he has something to do that they just don't need to take part in. Like we don't really know, but we know Jesus is doing one thing and he sent the disciples to do another. And that some time is passing in this process of them being out in this boat because Jesus has to walk up the mountain have his spiritual experience, come back down the mountain, and then as a human being, travel across the sea on foot to them. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So they're in the ship. Jesus perceives that this is what they need. And then a tension arises, right? The wind comes. The wind is contrary to the wind that they need to be able to get to where they need to get to. And now they're right in the middle of the sea. Now think about this. Jesus seems to have understood that this was going to happen. He bides his time, goes up on the mountain, has a spiritual experience, comes back down the mountain. Like he's giving them the time to have this experience on the boat. He's giving them this spiritual space to have this experience. Who knows what the conversation was on the first part of this trip, but eventually they get out into the middle of the sea and the winds are contrary to what they need to do. There's a tension there. They are not able to get to where they need to get to or where they think they're supposed to get to. And in the midst of this tension, and again, relate this to your own journey, in the midst of this tension, in the midst of these waves, it says, in in the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night, some time has passed. Certain members of the, of the disciples on this ship took their turn to be watchful, to keep an eye out for the safety of the ship, for the, for the arrival of Jesus to rescue them. And on the fourth watch, Jesus went unto them. Walking on the sea. So Jesus bides his time. He gives space for them to have this experience. They live in this tension for some time. And then Jesus is outside the boat. Walking towards them. Jesus doesn't need the ship. But he realizes that at least for a time they needed the ship. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Peter, in this tension, realizes that Jesus is outside the boat. Peter pleads with the Lord, if if it is you, Master, permit me, bid me, come unto thee on the water. Now Jesus, again, having given them the time, having been aware that this tension was going to arise, and now sensing this moment where he sees that Peter recognizes that it is him, that he is outside the boat, and seeing that Peter desires to leave the boat to come unto him, Jesus responds to Peter, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he left the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Think this through. Like when we are in a religious institution and when the tension arises that we now realize that on some level we have outgrown outgrown the group, outgrown the tribe. We have, we've had some kind of development that now places our life in tension with the institution. And Jesus, we perceive, right? We perceive that the next step in our spirituality, the next step in coming unto Christ is outside the boat. When we step outside the boat, and we begin to kind of test our, our, our ability to take this new step of faith. Like Peter walking on the water. At first, maybe we feel some success. We feel some really cool experiences. But at some point, another tension comes in. Whether it be those in the boat, Doubting us or shaming us or marginalizing us for stepping outside the boat, whether it be the tension itself and we realizing that we need to go back to that place where it's black and white, where we have our outward authorities. For whatever reason, like Peter, sometimes we lose faith in the journey. We lose faith in the process. And like Peter sinking into the water, we realize, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, I need the boat. I need to be in the boat. I got to get back in the boat. I got to figure out how I do this. How do I get back in the boat? And some of us, we go back and we're so scared of the experience of having stepped out into the water that we forget that it was Jesus who bid us come. That it wasn't an issue with whether we belonged outside the boat or not. Rather, it was perhaps an issue of whether in that very moment we were ready. It wasn't a, it wasn't a conversation or a debate about belonging 
or where the next step was. It was about whether we were in that very moment ready for that step. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. When you step out of the boat, once the Savior has invited you to come unto him outside the boat, that experience is going to be scary. And perhaps you're going to lose faith in yourself not realizing you're ready. But at the same time, might you have faith that Jesus will catch you. That he will grab onto you. That he will ensure that you don't sink. Jesus said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He's asking Peter an internal question. Peter, Peter, I told you to come out of the boat. Peter, you you recognized me. You realized that the next step was to get out of the boat. You realized that the next thing was to come unto me and to, to take this, this leap of faith, this, this walk of faith, and step out of the boat and come to me. What was it, Peter? What was it in that experience that you doubted? And I think for us in that experience, when we doubt, like, oh, I stepped out of the boat, and oh my goodness, I almost sunk. And perhaps we realize, like, okay... So today isn't the moment to do that. Maybe I need the boat a little longer. But at the same time, to realize that Jesus is asking us to resolve this. Like, wherein did thou doubt? And once we internalize the question and say, like, where, wherein did I begin to sink? What was it about stepping outside the boat that scared me? What was it about stepping outside the boat that the experience started to go south, that I begin to sink. And once we realize what that is, once we realize what the issue is and we resolve it or come to grips with it, then perhaps are we ready to try again to step out of the boat when Christ invites us. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. So Jesus, assuming they is Jesus and Peter, Jesus hoisting Peter up from sinking, catching him, him and Peter climb into the boat. Again, Peter wasn't ready. And Jesus, seeing that, took him back into the boat. Again, Jesus bid him to come out. And Jesus took him back. And once they got back into the boat, Jesus essentially, it is kind of implied in the story that Jesus senses this experience is concluded. There's no more need for this tension at this moment. And so for many, they get back into the boat. And for a while, there's the safety again. And there, that complacency comes back. And for that time, it may be necessary. But I also would open up the idea that there may come again 
the wind, and that Jesus may show up again outside the boat, and Jesus may bid us again to come unto him. And the question is, did we figure out where is thou that we doubted? And did we resolve it? Institutions serve a purpose. It doesn't matter what institution we're talking about. Religious institutions tend to operate from a certain space. Certain institutions are going to be high-demand fundamentalist religions. Mormonism certainly would, would be similar to that kind of a category. But take whatever faith. Take Methodism. Take the Baptist Church. Take Jehovah Witnesses. Take uh, Islam. It, it doesn't matter. Institutions serve a purpose. And some of us grow from institution to institution as if they are stepping stones. And some of us step outside the boat and we didn't doubt. We knew that that was the next step. And so some folks step outside the boat and they look back at whatever institution they left. And if it makes you more comfortable, pretend your institution is the next stepping stone and make some other institution the one they just stepped out of the boat from. If that makes you feel better, great. But what we, we need to get to a place where when people step out of the boat and they no longer are doubting, no longer is that tension getting them because it was still windy. The tension was still there. Jesus bid him to come out of the boat in the midst of the tension, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the waves. That when someone steps out of the boat and they don't doubt and they walk and they're standing next to Jesus, looking back at the boat with the people in it, what about the folks in the boat? What did the other disciples think as, as Peter began to sink? What would the disciples have thought had Jesus stayed or had Peter stayed on his feet? What would they have thought? Were the folks in the boat going, huh, I knew Peter didn't have enough faith. I knew Peter couldn't cut it. I don't know why Jesus asked him to go out there. Like often in our institutions, we use shame and marginalization when someone leaves the boat. But ought we not to step back and say, perhaps Jesus is outside the boat. And perhaps Jesus is bidding them to come. In those moments, can we in the boat look at the person who stepped out and honor their journey and honor that perhaps it is Jesus that is leading them? And can we as Peter, when we step out of the boat and we don't doubt, and we stay on top of the water in the midst of the waves and tension, realizing that, oh, I can do this now. With the help of Jesus, I can do this now. Can we then look back at the boat and say, thank you. Thank you for getting me to hear. Thank you for blessing me to be able to be at this point. Thank you for being a refuge that when I step out of the boat the first time and I begin to sink, that you give me a place to go back in. Thank you. Yes, I no longer need the boat. I've stepped out. I'm with Jesus. But thank you. You were so necessary. You were so important to get me here. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Cognitive Dissidents Podcast. And to be perfectly frank, 
There have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. Give Brother Joseph a break. Some have asserted that more members are leaving the church today and that there is more doubt and unbelief than in the past. This is simply not true. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never been stronger. How can homosexual members of the church... First, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. Questions are honored, but opposition is not. I think we'd also have to be honest. There may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those will, I think, be the ones we avoid. Doubt your doubts. 